1: As the house lights go down, (laughs) uh, we enter the post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem. I'm here with the one, the only, Jim Anger. I, of course, am not Emily Anger. Uh, If I were, that would be very confusing. Um, But I am uh, Scott Flovin. Uh, Also the one and only, Scott Flovin. Uh, Actually, there is another Scott Flovin out there. Uh, So I have a cousin, uh, Scott Flovin. So... I had to change my name on Facebook because I got very confused when that Scott Flovin uh, started liking and posting things that my family members were like, what is going on with you?
0: (laughs) That is bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. Who names cousins after other cousins? I, well, I, was it I think, just a coincidence so this was just a
1: coincidence uh, I'll, I'll have to tell you the story afterwards but this was a long-lost cousin and a long-lost family member uh, oh so yeah. okay interesting it's it's, it's it's a wild story but uh,
0: you, you do have some wild stories there Scott <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> anyway so uh, I'm here talking to Jim about the uh, sermon he just preached um, and as we uh, call it Story Monday, it actually just started raining outside uh, the recording. Stormy so Tuesday. It is a stormy Tuesday. Um, so you started off talking about a Super Bowl party. <laughs> and, and I had yeah. two questions for you related to that <laughs> yes, Super Bowl please. party. And then anything else you want to talk about. Yeah. So, uh, Question 1, how was Bruce Springsteen's uh, halftime show?
0: Thank you for asking, Scott. It was it was great. It's considered one of the best Super Bowl halftime performances of all time okay. throughout the centuries and it's also it's also known for there was one mishap on stage. So, Bruce, this was 2008. He was born in 1949. So, he was in his late 50s, I think, at that point. Um, but Bruce is legendary for, for being just a madman on stage, maybe the best live performer of all time, too. And defying age, he did a knee slide across the stage. And NFL Films, that produces the halftime show, obviously, they, they have tons more cameras everywhere than than usual. So the there was one camera situated right at the... At, at the floor level of the stage on the side, ready to capture Bruce's knee slide right into the camera. And somewhat dubiously, he slid too far and crashed into the oh camera. Uh, uh, it, the camera crashed between his legs. Oh as my. he
1: into it. Yeah, I, I might have to uh, watch this when I get home
0: That's I It, it was on more on. boss than people wanted to see. But, <laughs> but besides imagine. that, it was great.
1: Yeah. So, so question number two, because yeah. uh, I'm sure people want to know this. Yeah. Uh, if you're you're talking with Joe Public on, on the street, yes. and he's like, you know, I know one or two Bruce songs, uh-huh. but I really want to get into Bruce. What what is the song and or the album that Uh-oh. you're like? This is like, if you want to get to know Bruce,
0: uh-huh.
1: either this is the song that will give you all that that will tell you his entire you know, discography, or this is the album. Cause some yeah. bands have a song. That's like, this song is them. Yeah. Or this, they'll have an album. What, what is the Bruce song or album that you're like, if you want to jump into Bruce, this is the starting point.
0: I would start with 1975 born to run either specifically the title track or the first song on the album, which is thunder road, which is my favorite song. It's uh, only eight songs. Mm-hmm. all killer, no filler. It's the album that it's Bruce's third album, put him on the map. And it's just a spectacular, all the way through okay. so and Born to Run I don't know if I've ever said this on a podcast before when I was in high school my friends and I were in the habit of buying like small birthday presents for each other and I would and for other friend, other buddies birthdays I would always buy a CD copy of Born to Run for them but in about half the cases the CD was never opened and I would find it <laughs> laying around their car or house and when I, when I did that I took it back. <laughs> And, and they would be upset, and I'm like, hey, this, it was three weeks ago I gave this to you. It's still unwrapped. It's, it's still in the original packaging. This is not a uh, Funko doll <laughs> right, right, <laughs> or, or an original Kenner Star Wars action figure. Okay. So, yeah, I, so, I ungifted it.
1: Yeah, so if, uh, if I ever get it for my birthday, I'll make sure to open it up immediately. You don't need even to listen have to have it. A, Just open it. <laughs> if you know know don't have a CD play. player uh, yeah. way to actually listen to it. Yep. So okay. I like it. Right, so... um yeah, the, the sermon this Sunday, uh, you were preaching on uh, Jacob and Esau and their yeah. birth. Um, so what kind of burdened you with this topic?
0: So it became pretty clear, and there's going to be some bleed here with presence of the Lord as well. Pretty clear to me early on in the sermon prep process. This is Genesis 25, 19 to 26, that it made sense to me to talk a lot relative to the total length of the sermon about predestination and election. Mm -hmm. Part of that is the way in which the older will serve the younger. Jacob, have I loved Esau, have I hated, is referenced uh, in these specific directions by the Apostle Paul later on. But then also, one of the benefits, I think, of going slowly through Genesis is for other ways directions that I could have taken the sermon because we're still going to be spending a lot of time with these characters. I didn't feel like I, or there's nothing that I didn't say in this sermon about Jacob and Esau and Isaac and Rebecca and their legacies that we won't get to in the next couple of sermons. Mm -hmm. So it, I felt freedom to lean into this theological direction, which is not a, a ton of my preaching is not this way, but the burden became, okay, I'm going to be talking about predestination, and election, which has been a controversial topic throughout throughout the centuries. Mm-hmm. And I think even for young Christians or newer Christians, and there are a lot of those at Liberty Collingswood, just on the surface, this sounds like a bad idea yeah. <laughs> and, and, and is deeply disconcerting to people. Mm-hmm. So the twin burdens, I would say, Scott, related to predestination and election was I wanted to draw people to answering yes to these two questions, even if at first glance they wouldn't be so sure. Is election biblical? And so there's a little bit of biblical and theological argument there. But then also, is it good? And right. is it something that we can appreciate and mm-hmm. come come to love and value and worship God for it, as opposed to just being your Ovaltine when drink it it t- tastes horrible but it's good for you like t- taking your medicine and yeah so predestination is it biblical and is it good
1: yeah and, and those i think are the, the the all the debates are around those two mm-hmm. questions um yeah you know, i've listened to a, a number of debates on it and and, and i've listened to the other side try and critiquing sort of calvinism and, and predestination yeah. election and, and those are the two points that are are, are usually hop, harped on. Usually, the second one more. Usually, they'll say like predestination and election are are true and biblical. They'll define it different. They'll define those words yeah. differently um, than than you and I w- would. But mm-hmm. then they would say, "Well, is it good or not?" And yeah, and that's the that's sort of the jumping off point that they'll go to. <laughs>
0: yeah, and a, a confession that I need to make to you, and this is my fault, and it's tied to the fact that I'm not. Uh, complete manuscript preacher mm-hmm. so there are always things that I forget to say during sermons The I had mentioned I had intended to give a shout out to your theology 101 class number, and it's still on our website mm-hmm. uh, I think it was the third class of the three when it was predestination and election you, you gave a longer fuller discussion than I was able to do in the sermon so I did want to commend that to people and the timing of your hosting this week was mainly because Emily's out of town mm-hmm. but it's kind of fun that it is this Sunday with this subject because you're somebody that has spent some time with these things.
1: You, you could say it was predestined <laughs> to happen.
0: <laughs> okay, for, for, for our listeners, uh, midway through what I was just saying, I, I saw a smirk on Scott's <laughs> face, and I I could have predicted what was coming after that. <laughs> but now we have it. <laughs> Sorry, oh just, no. I, I, I couldn't. This stop This is horrible. It. Oh, yeah, boy. yeah.
1: So, uh, if you want to give us a, a listen to the the theology 101. Uh, lesson two, the, the second one I touched on it just briefly when we talked about the sovereignty of God. Okay. Um, but I really drilled down into it. One in and, and lesson three is I was on salvation. Yeah. So, uh, lesson two, you get a sprinkling of it, you know, just a, a little, you know, a little teaser. Yeah. Um, and then three is where we get into it, yeah. into it pretty heavy. Um, but yeah, I, I think definitely, um, I appreciated you, you talking about, uh, the fact that this isn't a, uh, in the Theology 101 class, we talk about primary doctrines, that this isn't something that yep. we have to necessarily believe to be a Christian. Um, that This is sort of an uh, intramural debate, so to speak. Um, yeah. And I, I wrote down in my notes the George Whitfield, John Wesley uh, conversation. Yeah, why don't you briefly... That. Yes. Yeah, so, so say what George that was Whitfield uh was a Calvinist and, and John Wesley, uh founder of you know Methodist Church uh was uh,
0: Arminian. And so in this case Calvinism <clears throat> would align with the with view predestination of predestination and white yeah.
1: Yeah. Um and that's Arminian, uh named after Jacob Arminius, not Arminian, uh the country. This was it confused me the first time. Yep. I heard it because I was like why are we talking about this Eastern European country? Um, and so so the two of them hotly debated uh, the topic of, of predestination election. Mm-hmm. And uh, one day uh, someone came up to George Whitfield, who was on again on the predestination side yeah. and asked him, uh, you know, are you going to see John Wesley in mm-hmm. heaven? Yeah. A- and surprisingly, George Whitfield said, uh, no, I will not be seeing him in heaven. And obviously, everyone is kind of shocked and at this. And and he says, uh, John Wesley is is so much closer to God that he'll be uh, so much closer to him in the worship of God in heaven that I will never see him because I'll be so far back in the crowd. Boom. Um, And and so, yeah, it was just kind of like a a aha moment that, hey, like this is an intramural debate. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And related to that, I said during the sermon, Scott, that at Liberty Collingswood, we want a church, want to be a church that Balances being accessible mm-hmm. to everybody, but not a theological. Right, and that's a tough balance to to pull off. I, I mentioned that it, either one or the other is easier. So, mm-hmm. a super accessible church, but kind of dumbed down <laughs> when right. it comes to, you know, what 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 the church has believed th- th- throughout the centuries, or super super theologically mm-hmm. big and bulky, but. If you haven't been already going to this church for twenty years, you're just going to have no idea how to yeah, how to have an access point.
1: Beck and I have gone to both yeah. uh, churches, and one of the reasons why we stuck at Liberty and have stayed at Liberty and uh, was because we saw that it was a good balance ah. too. So, um, props to you and Eric ah. for uh, sort of cultivating that culture. Uh, not to, to do too much alliteration, but, yeah, so. Um, Third way
0: walking, world view. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, and and so, right, so so we want to be a church that does have mm-hmm. spaces for more serious theological reflection and conversation, but in an ironic and open-handed way. Mm-hmm. And, Scott, you you modeled that. I'll, I'll turn the compliment back at you. Theology 101, I thought, was a master class in that as well, including on these issues.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, anything else that was burning you with Stormy Monday before we uh, turn from the Storms to the Sun Studios? That was it?
0: Okay, so. Storms to sun, I like that. Yeah. Did, was that premeditated? Or? It just came to me right now. Wow, what a pro. Uh,
1: <laughs> so with uh, Sun Studios and the presence of the Lord, um, obviously I think this is a very interesting topic. But yeah. um, anything really kind of come out to you or jump out at you with this whole thing?
0: not really. So th- this is one of those passages that's pretty easy, pretty easy to interpret. So for a little while Rebecca is not able to conceive. They pray and by the end of just a few verses, not just one, but but twins are are born, Esau and Jacob. And most commentators that I looked at or I guess all of them and I I usually Once I get into the meat of the sermon series, I usually have three commentaries, plus looking at more if there's something that I need, you know, broader opinions about. Uh, But part of how I choose the commentaries that I do is that they're usually recent commentaries that have a, deep and broad sense of the th- commentary tradition th- uh, about this book of the Bible, or this passage up to this point, so I'm looking at representative views and not super esoteric mm-hmm. ones. So there does seem to be a consensus that the main point of this passage is the prophecy given to Rebecca in verse 23. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the, the younger. And, and there's even some textual clues and indicators that this little passage is actually a chiasm. So the, the in chiastic structure, that's kind of like the sandwich where you have at the beginning and the end similar stuff, either structurally, texturally, conceptually, thematically. But then as you move to the middle of the passage, there's similar layers that come to the center which is unique and attention is to be drawn to that so there is some chiastic stuff going on here that also serves to highlight that prophecy from from God so that's kind of where where I went with it the older shall serve the the younger and like I was saying earlier Scott because this is a key verse used for theological reflection later on that's the direction that I took this sermon as well
1: yeah and I, and I thought that was a, a great direction for it um one thing that, that beck and i kind of said to each other during the the sermon as you mentioned um you know the the fact that isaac really takes a back seat in all of this and yeah you know how many times i've read genesis and never like realized like, wow isaac's just like not a character like yeah and, like, he, he just kind of gets like passed over and, and my, my wife becca is, is Named after Rebecca in the Bible. Yeah. And, and she's including like, including oh. spelled correctly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Spelled correctly. And she's like, Rebecca does more than Isaac does in, in all of this. Yeah. Uh, and all this story, which was just kind of fascinating to me. But yeah. I, I, and Rebecca's sort of not the key player here, but it's the fact that she's the one who's pregnant. You know, Isaac yep. kind of gets this passing mention. um
0: yeah yeah and i'm I'm not sure what the up if there's a specific intent or upshot to it, but it is interesting, unlike the other patriarchs where you get a lot more Abraham than Sarah, you mm-hmm. get a lot more Jacob than Rachel and Leah, although they feature prominently at different points too. It's flipped where there's a lot more with Rebecca than 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 with Isaac, and this is something new to this time through Genesis to me for whatever reason there is a lot less about isaac than than, than these other characters yeah. just get on to jacob <laughs> right yeah
1: it's just uh, well maybe moses was running out of parchment and he's like <laughs> like crap like i gotta just write <laughs> <cut out> something <laughs> pizza guy's here <laughs> yeah <laughs> matzah guy right okay yeah sorry
0: right. the man a man even better yeah. the man the man a man can scott yeah. okay
1: yeah, so, um, you know, you, you, Esau and Jacob, and you, 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 I really like the two categories you had. Again, getting in this third way of walking the world, you're not wanting to be too esoteric, but too, uh, you know, atheological, you know, you have, sure. uh, theological and practical. Um, yeah. Any other, when you're... Framing this, writing this, was that sort of in your head from the beginning? Okay, these are the two categories I'm going with, or?
0: Yeah, kind of going back to the, is this biblical and is it good? Mm-hmm. So the, is this good does have a, does have a practical payoff. Um, and Scott, there's some of these things could go into either presence of the Lord or muddying the waters, mm-hmm. but, but, but let's talk about the theological positions here. Mm-hmm. So the older shall serve the younger is reinterpreted by Malachi Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, mm-hmm. in Malachi chapter 1. And that Malachi gloss on Genesis 25 is what Paul uses in Romans 9, which, which is just a, a super key passage. Let me pull it up right, right here. Um, so Romans 9 to 11, as you know, Paul is wrestling with the question of the relationship of the Gentiles to the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. If God elected and chose Israel, and now all of these Gentiles are coming into the church, did God's purpose and election fail? And Paul, that's the longest treatment, not only about Israel and the Gentile nations, but more specifically about what God's sovereign will for mm-hmm. salvation is and is not. And then at one point, he says, the and not only so, but also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older shall serve the younger. That's Genesis 25. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part, but no means? I really love that, what that, Paul gives that objection mm-hmm. because it's a logical one. Wait a right. second. If 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 God saves people, and these are this is his his language earlier before they were born or had done nothing good or bad, right? Then the question is, how is this fair? Is God unjust? Uh, but Paul's answer, by no means. For he says to Moses, "I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, will have compassion on whom I have compassion." So then, it. This is Romans 9.16, and that it, I think, pretty clearly is like salvation. Um, so then salvation depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And and there's plenty of other passages, Old Testament and New Testament, that speak to some of these same things. This isn't a whole view of salvation <coughs> built on just a couple of Bible verses. But this is one of the key passages for this specific theological position and to me it's hard to interpret in different directions yeah
1: so i've actually listened to two different debates on romans 9 okay and 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 again this is not to disparage our our arminian brothers and sisters but it was much more difficult for them to walk through the text verse by verse and explain the text verse by verse without having to Jump outside of Romans nine, mm-hmm. talk about something, and then jump right back into Romans nine, yep. or even like starting like in Romans nine thirty, and then going back to Romans one, and yep. like having to like, <clears throat> and again, that's not to disparage them, but
0: yeah,
1: you know, it, it was just something that uh, was sort of interesting to me to, to see. Yeah, uh, another interesting thing uh, um, with the Romans nine passage: um, I will have mercy who I'll have mercy, and compassion who I'll have compassion. Mm-hmm. In the, the Greek, mercy and compassion are actually verbs there. So it's I will mercy oh. who I will mercy, and I huh. will compassion who I will compassion. So right. just really co- sort of reiterating, which in English that doesn't make sense, but really reiterating that this is a work of God, God's decisive activity um, in us and not yeah. something that we do, which to me is is very comforting because it's like, okay, like okay, I can't screw this up. You know? yep. It's like God's yeah. work in me.
0: You know? Right. Yeah. If we're saved by grace, we're saved by grace. Mm-hmm. One of the ways that I've seen people that don't hold this view of election take Romans 9 is to contend that Paul here is speaking of collective mm-hmm. election and not individuals. So yeah. God is talking about the collectively choosing the nation of Israel versus collectively choosing the the nation. Mm-hmm. So God somehow works collectively in these ways but not individually because that 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 would infringe upon people's will there's that's it's a false dichotomy. (laughs) (laughs) um and and in Romans in Romans 9 specifically everywhere else in Paul's letters Paul glides very quickly and easily from the collective to the individual and most of the time pretty clearly means both and that 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 includes here as well the uh, another thing that I thought about mentioning during the sermon there there's this famous quote by I think a m- rabbi from the Middle, Middle Ages named Rabbi Akiba and <clears throat> Akiba said what a lot of, to use the word, Arminian Christians would agree with when it comes to salvation, he said poetically, I'll give him credit for it God is sov- something like this, I'd have to go back and and, and look it up uh, specifically, God is sovereign over all of the affairs of men except their fear of heaven. Hmm. Um, and what he's saying there is, hey, yeah, God really is in control of all things except whether or not a man or a woman would choose to become a follower of God. That, that he leaves up to the individual. And, and to me, that's, that's never felt intuitively since I became a Christian Intuitively persuasive to me, mm-hmm. like one, either God is sovereign or He's not, and two, when God is, if God would decide what He doesn't want to be sovereign over, <laughs> like salvation seems to be a pretty big deal yeah. in, in, in in the counsel of God. Why, why would He limit Himself there? And mm-hmm. the it's been said in the Western Church, and kind of the, the the one of the theological premises in the Armenian direction that does a lot of work, is that God loves us enough to give us free will. That's why salvation is our choice and not God's. And through the years, my question back there has been, uh, give me some Bible there. Yes. Um, That's that for for that whole theological system when it comes to salvation to rely on that premise that God loves us so much to give us absolute free will. Uh, I would be nervous if that important a premise has so little biblical found, foundation behind it. And, and we'll talk about problems with uh, predestinarian view in just, just a moment here, Scott, mm. I'm sure. But but you could even say, like, th- that's not what parents do. Yeah. Uh, when, you know, my kids, when they were toddlers, there's an open flame on the stove. And right. and they're moving towards it because it's it's a new shiny object. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't say... Hey, I love you enough to give you to, the free will. Yeah. In, instead, I just grab them and say, "I I love you." There, therefore, I'm I'm curbing your will. Right.
1: Yeah. And, and for me, and, and this is a whole rabbit hole that that we yep. won't go down. But I, you know, it, uh, when I was reading and about open theism, which is sort of, uh, uh, you know. A belief that God actually doesn't know the future at all. And yeah, there, there's a lot of things there. Mm-hmm. But one when, when, one uh, um, open theist I read, uh, Jonathan Sanders, mm-hmm. who is a brilliant guy. He was like I, when he was writing his book. In his book, he's like, I'm not even going to talk about the Armenian view because it makes zero sense to me. I'm only going to review. Interesting. Almanism. He's huh. like he's like, he, he said Armenianism. Ultimately, like its its logical conclusion is my position of open theism, right? And and he said the problem is, is if we have free will, and God has exhaustive foreknowledge of the future, right? Then God already knows what free will action you're going to choose, so you actually don't have free will because right. your decision has already been made yeah. for you. So he actually, like in his introduction, he's like, I'm not even going to talk about Arminianism. It's like not worth my time. Yeah. I'm only going to refute Calvinism in my book huh. because like, yeah, that, it, which that's I never, yeah.
0: Yeah. That, that, that's really interesting. So, and let, 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 let's be clear as well that Scott, both of us would consider and yes, this is a more theologically oriented <laughs> podcast than the normal. This is Scott. Not apologize. I apologize. Us um, nerding out. The open theism is at least one decisive step farther from historic Christianity than Arminian yes, is, yes. If, uh, I, I, if not more. I, I feel um, a lot more
1: comfortable with my Arminian brothers and sisters than my open theist right, friends. Yep, yeah.
0: Um, yeah, and historically... Or I won't say historically. Anecdotally, I know plenty of Christians who became open theists, and open theism became just an off-ramp from Christianity altogether. So, so open theists, yeah, Christian open theists don't don't stay Christian open theists even. They just become non-Christians.
1: And again, um, anecdotally, my friends who are open theists uh, usually their doctrine of God and doctrine of salvation and who Jesus is, yeah. kind of and what. And even what the Bible is, those go out the wayside very yeah. quickly. Yeah. Um, it's not a very sustainable right. position. Yeah, um, but interesting
0: that uh, open theists would say, Arminians don't have the courage to smoke the whole pack. Yeah, right. And, right. And so so, so one of the arguments in favor of this predestinarian view is that there is more, there is more internal consistency there, mm-hmm. I, I think, too. And, and it's telling as well... <coughs> Did, did you talk about Molinism in theology one hundred and one? So I,
1: I, in in a uh, draft of theology one hundred and one, I had Molinism okay. there. In in theology two hundred and one, if, if, <laughs> if when we ever do theology two hundred and one, why not? I would uh, one of the sessions would be Calvinism, Arminianism, Open Theismism, and Molinism, and uh-huh. just taking a deep dive into all of those. yes yeah. I think. Molinism is an interesting philosophical construct, and I'm using philosophical construct purposely instead of theological one. Yeah. But it was just that was going to be, I think, a little bit too weighty. Yeah. Even just Calvinism, Arminianism. So I took it out from from an earlier draft.
0: Yeah, fair. And so so this was a 16th century view from some Roman Catholics. And whether it's Molinism or uh, also uh, Amaraldianism when, when, when it comes to uh, so, so Molinism ta- speaks to God's knowledge of the future Emeraldianism speaks to the atonement of Jesus and with Molinism it's a really smart couple of guys trying to have their cake and eat it too mm-hmm. and say yes God is completely sovereign over all things but there is a genuine contingency to human will where we are free to choose A or not A, but somehow this also occurs within the scope of a universe sovereignly controlled by God. Mm -hmm. Um, All all that is to say here, there have been some incredibly God-fearing, Bible-loving, Jesus-loving people that have tried to carve out space for both of these things but they're not, they're never successful. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, you're, you're, you're either going to go one direction or another. And the, mm-hmm. and the way that I tried, tried to crystallize it, and I think in Theology 101, we were talking about how, hey, like every system has its strengths and then its problems, in, mm-hmm. I, I, including ours. So I don't want to sound like, like oh yeah, there, there are some like things that are easily explained and some like sticking points for for, for people that are challenging. But to me, it basically comes down to: Do you want 100% full grace, and then you have to live with mystery, um, or do you want to rescue your own decisive choice in salvation? But then, at least in my opinion, you're you're putting at least a couple of your chips on your own merit right? mm-hmm. and and your own goodness and works, and I'd I'd rather have grace plus mystery versus choice and. Choice in your your own merit, like 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 you yourself said, said earlier, Scott. If I'm saved only by the goodness of Jesus, I can't mess this up, right. and 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 that's good news. If I merit my way into salvation, then I can also demerit myself okay. away from it.
1: Well, there was one Armenian uh, who, who I've listened to uh, often, just because you know I, I like to hear what you know the other side sure. said, says, yep. and try to be as round. As I can, mm-hmm. you know, theologically, yeah. And one time he's he said famously, or maybe infamously, uh, "You're choi- you're chosen because you're a choice meat," and it's like, so like, am I better than another? <laughs> like, like, right? You know, I was like, that that's really scary to to think about, you know. And, and I th- I think yeah. he kind of redacted that statement, yeah. Later, but you know, it was kind of like, well, you you said it; it's on the it's on the internet now forever. Yep. Yeah, and, and I think he he tried to. You know do some damage so to, to relate back to your beginning some pr damage control saying like, right. you know you you know you're a christian because you're a little bit better or, or something's better about you but
0: yeah I, you know yeah. Th-
1: that was like okay there's that like merit you know your, your chips yeah in the, the stack so to speak
0: for sure and, and scott this is the last thing for me under mm-hmm. presence of the lord i i did mention during the sermon I, I didn't really talk about go into more detail about hey is this fair mm-hmm. um and how can god save some people but 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 not others. If, if salvation is God's choice and if there are some people in heaven and some people in hell, how is that fair of a God who could have willed everybody mm-hmm. to, to heaven in the first place? Just, just to talk about that a little bit, let's not lose sight of the fact, and this is not the only answer that can be given, and I appreciate this as a problem and, and something that does not sit well with people. Um, Paul's answer in Romans 9 is not the only answer that can be given but it's not less than that so Paul, Paul is there injustice in God's part what shall we say then he, he raises the question that would be on everybody's minds but he gives a striking embracing answer Good.
1: who are you O man
0: right yeah. to, to find fault with God so Paul doesn't shrink away from saying well if God is actually God mm-hmm. he can kind of do what he wants yeah anyway mm-hmm. um and i th- i think here in the west our, our view of god is shrunk enough that that just doesn't feel intuitively
1: it, well it, it goes back to satisfying when you, you preached on Job. but mm-hmm. you uh you, you mentioned Job at one point a long time i, I yeah. don't remember what the context was but you talked about how you know the answer Job got <laughs> of like why did all this stuff happen to right you? god was like 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 how Tell me, tell me about, like, numbering the stars. Tell me <laughs> about when you created the wind. And the, like, right. Tell me about yeah. when you did all this stuff. Yeah. It's like, for, for a modern ears, like, Joe's yeah. answer was, like, again, who are you, oh, man? Right. To, you
0: yeah. Know. Yeah. And, and, and there are contextual factors there. I oh, I've yeah. heard preachers talk about <clears throat> this would have been easier on ancient ears, what Paul is mm. saying here, than, 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 than modern. So uh, ancient people would have said, that, you know, thinking about earthly kings the king can do what the king wants to do and right. yeah that's that that that's good and right uh more more challenging uh here here in the modern period but but that is what paul says here a couple other thoughts i think it's fair to say that most people within this reformed tradition when they talk about god's will to save versus not and this gets into the <laughs> Uh, God's choice to save people from judgment and perdition is a different quality of active willing on God's part where... Choosing not to save others is more of a passing over yeah, than an active choice.
1: Double predestination versus equal ultimacy. These right. are fancy theological terms. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And I, I, I'm comfortable with that. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Like I've, I know plenty of people that are not persuaded by. It, yeah. But um. Well, I it think makes when, sense to me.
1: Yeah, when you look at Romans eight and like the golden chain of redemption, like yeah. that is a lot of work God is doing, yeah. rather than just like you know Romans one where He's just really letting the people go into their yeah. sin, right? You know.
0: Yeah, and, and and then my other thing here too, this goes back to smoking the whole pack sort of idea. To say that, so so I think I've said in this podcast before about problem of evil for. If, if God is in control of all things and evil is in the world, he's not good. Mm-hmm. And then people will come back and say, well, one way we could get around that is to say, well, let's say God does not control all things. And, yeah. and, and there can be human will or natural disaster outside of God's will. So God is still good. He, would, he wants to do more, mm-hmm. but, but isn't able to. Uh, and I said at that point, I don't really think that lets God off the hook. Mm-hmm. And at some level and i you know I would, I would never use light profanity in 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 sermons but i feel a little more free in the that podcast uh, that's kind of a crappy god right, yeah, right. <laughs> that, that 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 like just just can't do anything mm-hmm. um, his god, god god's hands are tied that that if, that's not the biblical view of god but if if most christians would say that yes if god wanted there to be no evil in the w- world ever he could have willed mm-hmm. it um saying that human choice produces evil apart from God's will, like, God still allowed it. Right. Um, and so similarly, when it comes to to heaven and hell, God's letting people choose for themselves. Therefore, there are some people that go to heaven and, and others not. God is still choosing to allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. And so what the objection to this predestinarian view is trying to rescue, I don't think it actually successfully rescues it the last uh, analysis anyway
1: yeah and, and on the the theology not to make this about the theology 101 class of my thing um, but <laughs> I brought it up you and in the second section which I think you and, and Eric missed I actually did briefly briefly touch on uh, the problem of evil uh-huh. and, and theophany is the, the fancy theological word mm-hmm. if you if you want to uh, say that Theodicy, but, or theodicy. sorry it's okay it, it's been a long day <laughs> uh, um, the Odyssey and, and what i said and this again it's not a perfect answer and i know it wouldn't give everyone comfort but you know the the idea of there is no purposeless evil um, uh-huh. you know that even though we may never know yeah. what the purpose of mm-hmm. these terrible things that yep. you know there is a purpose yeah we, you know we just may never know yeah. and, and it's the old genesis fifty twenty. you know for uh, what you meant for evil god meant for good yeah
0: um, yep you know yeah Mm-hmm. all true well that's that, that's what i got for presence of the lord okay do, do you want to do mudding the waters? yes yeah,
1: so I, I know we've muddied the waters <laughs> a little bit so that the sun has if if we want to continue the this uh sort of transitioning the the sun has gone back and now it's back to stormy mondays and the <laughs> the, the, the the you know the the mud is still there from the stormy monday uh, yeah so, love it so okay any, what muddying, uh <laughs> did you have
0: there's the the backup center for the 76ers Scott is a guy named B-ball Paul—that—that's that, his nickname—and and forever on Twitter, when he's not playing well or not getting enough playing time, he, he just posts on Twitter, "Stuck in mud, back in the mud," and, and he actually has his own like clothing line, like "Stuck in the mud." Anyway, so let's let's treat mining the waters. So the if what we just did was the biblical framework and some mm-hmm. theological ins and outs and objections, is it biblical? Let's treat mining the waters more. as, is it? Is it good? And I think in two Fridays from now, we're going to release the Pat McAdams interviewing me about Tim Keller and how how he uh, influenced me. This is not one of the things that I said in this podcast, but another way that classic Keller move when he talks in Center Church and also in his book and preaching about joining a doctrines to b doctrines. I don't know if you're familiar with the. And so, so he says, and I forget what's A and what's B, but one of them, let's say the Aedroc doctrines are biblical teachings that would be super unpopular in this mm-hmm. cultural moment. And he said, one of the ways that you can gain a hearing among skeptics and Christians that are resistant to, to these things because we're all in the same cultural water is to join an unpalatable A doctrine with a more palatable given that certain cultural moment B doctrine and say these two things go together. So uh, doc- doctrine of hell or judgment would be an A doctrine, like very, you know, taboo, yeah. unpopular. But Keller will very often tie the judgment of God to justice in the world and mm-hmm. say, hey, we we love justice. We believe that wrongdoing should, should, should be punished. That's the B doctrine. Therefore, think again about how you recoil against the judgment of God. And if there is no ultimate judgment right and wrong, then our own sense of justice is just a sham. So anyway, the, what I tried doing here was, okay, predestination election, deep end of the swimming pool. That's the a doctrine that is unpalatable, but I tried to connect it to this shared understanding of don't we agree that pride is a problem. Mm -hmm. And if, we take a different view of salvation when there is some, some merit that works itself in, then maybe Christians should think that they're better th- than other people. And, right. it, it, and isn't it true more broadly that it's a huge problem in our world where either individually, culturally, racially, we're always dividing up the good people to the bad people. And we know, even if we don't say it out loud, I am better and my tribe, right. race, culture, whatever, is better than those people over here. And if you get rid of predestination and election, you're signing up for a lot of that stuff.
1: You are the choice meat. You are the choice meat. (laughs) That is just a
0: horrible, horrible (laughs) phrase. (laughs) Yes. Hannibal Lecterish. God God saved Scott with some Chianti and fava beans. (laughs) (laughs) But but,
1: I think it's true, you know, like how, how often. Are we the Pharisee that like prays like, "Thank you, Lord, that I am not like the sinner or the yeah. tax collector"? You know, all the time, um, all the time. I, I all catch the myself time. doing it constantly, yeah. and it's just like, and then I, I come up to these sort of passages and these these theological ideas, and it's like, "Oh yeah, no, like, nope, I'm the, I'm, 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 yep, that's me." You yeah, know?
0: yeah, totally, totally, totally. So, the, and the way that. In the scriptures, this view of election and salvation is deployed is specifically to humble us mm-hmm. and amaze us at God's grace. Paul, in Ephesians, for example, that uh, Ephesians one, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless in in his sight. Paul doesn't say that there and go on to talk about the redemption in Jesus so that we could have theological objections and qualms about right. why is God fair, but to amaze us that mm. God has loved us from before the foundation of the world mm-hmm. by sheer grace redeemed in Jesus. God's love has your name on it and, right. and that's supposed to humble us. And then at one point I cut, there are some quotes, I think it's Deuteronomy, it's around Deuteronomy eight, nine and 10. We're in a couple different points. Um, God is talking collectively to Israel and says, hey, just because you're my special nation, don't think I chose you because you're better than anybody right, <laughs> else. <laughs> uh, and it, it explicitly there, it's designed to, to humble us. And, mm-hmm. and what prideful, judgmental Christians need is a deeper view of the twin sides of the coin, our own radical brokenness and sin, But the fact that we're saved by grace and grace alone because God wanted to and not because not not because you're awesome. The cross says we're not
1: Mm -hmm. there. There's one theologian who I I like and and he the way he describes the book of Romans as a as a whole. The big picture, 10,000 foot view is that it's a book trying to reconcile the Jews and the Gentiles in the Roman Church. Mm -hmm. And and he looks at it and he's like, okay, so Romans one. Look at how evil the Gentiles are, and yeah. the Jews are like, oh yeah, they're you know reading this letters being read out loud, and the Jews are like, yeah, that's yeah. right, those Gentiles are bad. And then right. Romans chapter two, Paul then says, look, like Jews, you're not any better off than the Gentiles were. Like, yeah. like now it's your comeuppance. Yeah. So chapter three is, so this means we're all the end game. Yeah. yeah. The end game is we're all evil. And then four to the end is. Okay, we're all evil, yes, but look at how we're all reconciled by Christ. Yep. And, and so we're all in the same pot together. Yeah, um, you
0: know. yeah, yeah, and, and, I, and it's true. Absolutely, and mm-hmm. thank, thank you for not making fun of me for skipping around as much as Emily does. But <laughs> I'll, I'll pull a guitar, slim picking here. Yeah, 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 yeah. I the I cut the quote for 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 time quotes at end of sermons are not especially on longer sermons like mm-hmm. this one was. Are not not the best thing, but Leslie Newbegin, whom I quote occasionally, who was a missionary bishop to India in the mid-20th century, then came back to England and had a writing career. I don't know if other people have done this before Newbegin, but one of the things that Newbegin does is connect election with mission, mm. where if we understand that we're elected, predestined by grace alone to be gods, we're also chosen to do stuff, namely in our terminology, live speak and serve as Jesus' very presence wherever he, he he places you Jesus in John fifteen for you did not choose me, but I chose you there's this view of god's choice, not ours, that you would go and bear fruit fruit that will last right. so Jesus is saying there you didn't choose me, I chose you, but I chose you so that you would be fruitful mm-hmm. and I think New Begin would be careful to say, "Hey, this the elected for mission doesn't obviate or blinker the so, the salvation soteriological implications right. of election and predestination too." But this whole idea of frozen chosen yes. is actually deeply unbiblical, right? right. Be, because right. God God chooses us to be bearers of His salvation in, in in the world. Uh, and
1: the Ephesians 2, you're saved for good works. Yep,
0: yeah, yep. So. I, I was just pulling that up when, <laughs> when you talked. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. And Paul goes directly on to say, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in mm-hmm. them. So don't 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 let God's electing grace in any way shape or form be a de-incentivizer for mm-hmm. Christian obedience and, and Christian mission love or, or that Begin has this phrase this sentence to be elect in Christ Jesus means to be incorporated into his mission to the world to be the bearer of God's saving purpose for his whole world to be the sign and agent and the first fruit of his blessed kingdom which is for all and then. Richard Loveless dynamics of spiritual life uh, is quoted often a passage often quoted by Tim Keller and I won't read it here but talks about how grace saves us from racism Mm -hmm. and and if we don't think we're saved by grace we're just going to take whatever cultural totems we have and puff ourselves up because we're insecure and say that we're better than other people
1: right yeah Yeah. so the the that's uh, beautiful but the the last mudding the waters mm-hmm. i have um and I, I don't know if you want to get into now or if this is something you'll get into in, in later sermons yeah. but uh you know the esau hated that huh. that's, that's a that's a rough yeah it can be a rough passage um i, I heard paul washer gave a, a sermon yeah. on that passage um and, and he had a, a very interesting take on esau hated, uh-huh. and he goes if we look at Esau. In the l- later chapters, after this, and we look at Edom as, as a whole, Esau was very rich, very powerful. He had you know, even before, yeah. even while he's still alive, he had an army and had a people. Yeah, Edom was, uh, was a wealthy, successful nation. Yeah. So if, if we look from you know Western perspective, how is this hated if God's giving him all these blessings? Interesting. Yeah. A- and he says the difference between Esau and Jacob is Esau was never disciplined. Huh. And, and, and God was never a father to Esau and never disciplined him like he disciplined Jacob constantly as Jacob himself and, you know, the nation of Israel was, was disciplined. Yep. Lovingly disciplined like a father or mother disciplines their child. Yeah. Esau oh, that's never good. got that benefit. I've never heard that before. Um, and so it was a very interesting take. Um, and I, I had to chew on it for a little bit, but uh, yeah. But I wasn't sure if there's anything you want to touch on on
0: Esau before
1: Not, we move on to Barban.
0: Uh, we'll, well, including this coming Sunday, we'll do more on, on, on Esau. But yeah, that is a tricky Bible passage from Malachi. <laughs> yeah. Jacob, have I loved Esau, have I hated And mm-hmm. also mudding the waters from an interpretive perspective. And I was struck again when I was studying for, for this sermon this past Sunday. It also raises questions about New Testament use of Old Testament because... Mm-hmm how Jacob have I loved, Esau have I, how have I hated is deployed in Malachi is very different than yeah. how, how Paul marshals that very, quotation. Very and, and, the, and
1: I've seen that debate happen a lot yeah. uh, between different people on how each one uses it. Yeah, so. yeah.
0: And I I tend to think there, there are some people that try to shoehorn it in and say, actually, it's being used in the same way in both mm-hmm. contexts. And I, I just don't think that's true. Yeah, um, think, that yeah. solves some questions, but raises others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, hey, man, I, I've got yeah. a, I've, so, so a, I've got some band, kids at home. Yeah, let's let's keep going.
1: Guitar, some pickings yep. Here.
0: Then, so, uh, started with First Corinthians mm-hmm. one, uh, the latter of the two passages from First Corinthians, where Paul says, Paul says to the Corinthian church, "You're not all that. Consider where you were and who you were when God called, weak, lowly, despised." Mm-hmm. And so, Paul is on the record at the very beginning of that letter. You guys aren't better than anybody, right. and the weak, lowly, despised nature of the church mirrors and reflects Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, who went to the cross in seeming foolishness and lack of power uh, in the eyes of the Jewish and Greek world. I mentioned Malachi, Romans, two great little verses from the New Testament. Um, when when we talk about predestination, uh, John six is a very important Beautiful passage from Jesus, and He says it, you know, Jesus isn't giving a theological lecture, but still theological clarity. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I'll never cast out. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, Mm -hmm. and I will raise them up at the last day. Uh, So, yeah, Jesus draws, God calls but we're also called mm-hmm. to follow, obey, and believe at the same time. So what seems like a contradiction in our minds obviously is not a contradiction in our right. Lord's minds. I
1: think uh, Spurgeon said, you know, how do you reconcile God's sovereignty and man's will? And he yep. said, why would I reconcile best friends? Um, oh, you know, I like that. <laughs> yeah.
0: Spurgeon, pithy. Yeah. And, and then also one of my professors at Westminster Seminary it's actually going to be renamed Tim Keller Seminary. I don't know if you heard that, oh, yeah. Scott. Yeah, it's going to be great. The uh, Richard Gaffin referenced this verse to me in this connection, Second Timothy 2. God's firm foundation stands bearing the seal. The Lord knows those who are his. There's the election, the predestination. And motivation. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Um, so similarly to when... Paul in Romans deals with the objection, well, if we're saved by grace, why don't we just keep on sinning? Romans 6, uh, this is the same idea. Like, if you're saved by grace, therefore stop it. Right. And God gives you his, his help to stop it. So, And, and then I also really like that quote from Jonathan Edwards saying, if a Christian thinks he's better than than other people, he's a fool <laughs> yeah. and, and is certainly mistaken. But the, the rhetorical upshot there was simply that Edwards reputationally can be considered as somebody who is that type of judgmental, prideful, right. mean Christian. But here's Edwards saying, uh, you're not better than anybody, mm-hmm. fellow brother, fellow sister, including me. I'm not better than anybody either. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that was a fun one. I forget where I got that. I, I, th- I got that from uh, George Marsden's biography of Edwards. I think mm-hmm. uh, I, I'd have to go back and check actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all I got for bar band cover tunes and guitar slim Pickens. Anything okay. else on your end, Scott?
1: No, that, that's uh, – well, real quick, the Belgian Confession, which you quoted. Oh, yeah, quoted, forgot. So, you know, if it ain't Dutch, it ain't much. i got to have that in yep. there. But, yeah, that was uh, fun. Yeah, that, that was the only thing I had um, for that. So, yeah, so any uh, Howlin' Wolves?
0: I, I have one here, and then I hear that I have one from you. Yes. So mm-hmm. uh, an email written today that came to my Jim at Liberty email address – Post not post on the blues at So, so, so this is from anonymous, but yeah. I deeply appreciated the, the email. Jim, I just wanted to let you know that your Sunday sermon was perhaps the clearest, most grace filled, and scripture affirming presentation of this very confusing and controversial topic in today's culture. Having lived at other times in the Bible Bible Belt where there is such strong emphasis on the concept of free will, I found it very affirming to hear you try to dissect out some of the intricacies involved in the balance between mercy and justice, free will and God's sovereignty, grace and judgment. It truly is a mysterious both and enigma that can be only understood to a limited degree by our finite human minds and that only revealed by our all-powerful, inscrutable, transcendent, loving Father, Creator, Sovereign. Thank goodness that we just don't get it. So easy to talk about, but so hard to hold pers- to hold in perspective. So yeah, th- really you're, appreciate you're it. Beautifully written email. I know whoever, whoever this is. This, um, this has some had had some had some style to yeah. it, and yeah, I mm-hmm. with uh, this was one of the sermons where after I preached, I never or wasn't quite sure what to expect in my inbox yeah. a- afterwards. But but this was a great. Yeah. Um, Great encouragement. Yeah. Appreciate and, and I will
1: say, if anyone wants to dive in this topic more, I love talking about theology in general in this <laughs> topic. So, like, you do come find me on a Sunday <laughs> and, like, you know, I will uh, you'll regret it because I'll just talk your office yep. hours. But I, 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 I'm happy to answer questions. That I like it. on it so the the my thing uh, i have to unfortunately call out your wife on on some things heartbreaking uh, this is heartbreaking so to me this You're was, twisting the knife this was like maybe a month or two ago so okay going kind of going back and I'm, I'm like i listen to it in the car and like i get home or get to work and i was like i'm gonna write this email and then like life happens yeah i just I, I forget i've been there but she talked about mystery science theater and uh monty python ah. a while ago and, and uh, a, I will have to <laughs> say, myself and uh, Blake, Mystery Science Theater is our favorite show. Yeah, and we have, so two elder, well, <laughs> Elder Emeritus and yeah. current elder. It's the favorite show, so it's a wonderful. Think thing. about that. And they do it for modern movies now, so you can even do it for like Harry Potter, Lord of the
0: Rings. Is it specifically MST3K or like a riff tracks? So it's riff tracks. Okay, um, yeah, th- they do it. So nice. You have
1: to. And with Monty Python. Uh, in, in undergrad, I had a, a medieval and modern historian, uh, uh, a professor, who said that Monty Python and the Holy Grail is the most accurate portrayal of medieval life in, <laughs> in Europe at the uh-huh. time. Um, and, and we watched the film, and she would show us where this came from uh, in, in medieval Wow. Uh, uh, so that's thought. like prof so, tracks. Yes. Yeah, so, so it was literally, like, this is if you want to understand medieval life thought science literature you know theology um philosophy this movie has it all so it's very smartly written and, and in uh, life of brian uh <laughs> her husband um they're both classicists and her husband would use uh, uh life of brian when they graffiti in uh latin yeah. and uh, they make the mistakes he would pause it and actually have his students correct it. Oh, nice. Uh, Love it. Both movies are a uh, very good teaching tool for those who are interested in history and linguistics. So uh, 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 that's that's just what I want to say for that.
0: So M, it's (laughs) educational and edifying. Yes. Scott and I read Monty Python for the articles.
1: (laughs) Yes. (laughs) <laughs> uh, uh, so, uh, with that, uh, write in, uh, rate, review, and subscribe. Yes, uh, thank you. you. We yeah.
0: only have one more. I think one more post Sunday blues before taking a break. Okay, so there's only so, one more Genesis so. sermon before summer of Psalms, yeah, right, right not in. summer of Sam. <laughs> summer, actually, that that, that okay. would make a great. Or I, I really like our sermon graphic for our our hit, our psalter yeah. series. But would would it be like a. You summer know, of psalms like taking off summer of sam so it could be like bloody yeah
1: you know summer of sam would be a good uh, next summer if we went through first and second samuel oh summer, the summer of sam <laughs> I, I like it so.
0: <laughs> uh, scott you're thinking about your neighbor again
1: yes but uh but with uh, all that being said how was it
0: that was amazing thanks so much for joining us this has been the post sunday blues of preaching post mortem production of liberty collingswood go ahead rate review and subscribe and you can find all things liberty collingswood at libertycollingswood.org no more post sunday blues here comes some pre-sunday happy